I want you to relax. And I want you to relax because sometimes when a preacher gets up, you know you're going to get a bit of a bashing. There's no bashing tonight. There's just an endeavor to sit under Scripture and allow it to wash over us and as we engage with the story for it to touch our lives differently. I think what I've got to say speaks to every age group here, but you'll have to translate. For a teenager, the highs and lows of life look different to somebody in their 70s. But you have, as teenagers, your highs and lows. As those of us in the midst of life, we have our highs and lows. And to those who are somewhat older, uh, our bones tell us that life has its highs and lows all too often. I shall give you notice now that there'll be an opportunity for testimony um, partway through the service further on, and particularly testimony around how you've experienced God's help in a difficult time of life. So it's often tempting when thinking about the transfiguration to think about mountaintop experiences of God and hope that we will all get to experience God in a dramatic thunder and lightning kind of way. Some Christians spend their whole time wishing for a dramatic experience of God. Indeed, they'll pay money to chase one. They'll go to a conference in the hope that somehow they will meet God there in a way they can't meet him at home. And praise God in his mercy, they sometimes do. But it isn't always like that. Sometimes dramatic encounters with God are rare. I'm one of those Christians who has a fairly level kind of experience. I've had a few highs, several lows, and a lot of mediocrity in the middle. But I have encountered God in powerful ways. And these flashes of God's glory are relatively rare, even for the greatest saints of God. God never meant us to live permanently on the mountain top, but we can enjoy it when it's there. And the very next Bible story that Richard didn't read is of these disciples coming down the mountain to a pastoral terror. A kid who was demon-possessed, whose life was trashed, and Jesus and the disciples met his family. In other words, the disciples came off a mountaintop right into the problems of real life. Home from a mountaintop holiday into the real world at home. And the disciples discovered that having seen Jesus in all his glory on a mountaintop, and they really did see his glory, that he was also there and at work in the valleys. Mountains help us see beyond the valleys. They help us interpret our experience when actually life is full of shadows. Quotation from Henry Drummond, a Scottish theologian, says this, God does not make the mountains in order to be inhabited. God does not make the mountain tops for us to live there permanently. It is not God's desire that we do say. We ascend the heights to catch a broader vision of the earthly surroundings below. And I suppose what I want to say is, 
I'm all for mighty, powerful, dramatic experiences of God when they come. But I'll guarantee that your life will be the richer in Christ as you become established in him and are able to live on a level plane. I don't mean a boring plane. I mean a plane where maturity and grace and Christian character has been formed in you. Where you've wrestled with your sins, perhaps going on freedom in Christ, and all of a sudden experienced deliverance from that which binds you and which enables you to see something afresh of the glory of Jesus at work in your life. At whatever age you are, you and I experience the valleys of life. And you and I both know what happens the next day coming down from the mountain. After Sundays of life, there are always Mondays. And uh, worship band leaders, we need to be able to minister to the people of God when worship is ecstatic. When life is full of joy and when the picture of God is real and manifest in our presence by the power of the Spirit. But we also need to help people sing the Lord's song in a strange land. We need to help people sing the Lord's song and be worshippers and followers of Jesus when life is tough. At the heart of the transfiguration, it's not about feeding our mountaintop experience. It's about revealing who Jesus really is. And it feels in this particular incident that, uh, well, there's Peter, James, and John, and they peer behind a curtain on that mountaintop and see something of Jesus they've not seen before. And we're going to have a bit of a peer around the curtain ourselves. And Jesus takes just Peter, James, and John to pray with him. And by the time they get to the top of this mountain where it's all going to kick off, they're asleep. They're with the Lord Jesus. Something amazing is going to happen, and they can hardly keep their eyes open. I wonder if you can recall another incident in Scripture where that happened, where Peter, James, and John again went, and they fell asleep. It was the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think this shows something of the disciples' inability to comprehend who Jesus really was. On the mountaintop at the Transfiguration, something of Jesus' majesty, his divinity, is revealed to his friends. They're woken up by this flashing light. And the word used to describe Jesus' dazzling appearance is the same as that used to describe lightning. It was terrifying to be in the presence of the transfigured Lord Jesus. And these sleepy boys wake up just about and catch a glimpse of Jesus. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the humanity of Christ is fully revealed to them because as they look at him from a distance, they see him praying with great drops of blood. But in the end, whilst he goes through agony, they fall asleep. And the fact that they're asleep on both occasions speaks to me of the difficulty of really comprehending who Jesus is. Who God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are. The Trinitarian mystery at the heart of our faith. Now I want to say categorically that if you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say that you know the living God. That's perfectly 
right and proper. But I think it's also fair to say we don't know him very well. In our uh, little small group that I'm part of at the moment, uh, David Lee said that when he gets to heaven, he expects to be surprised. He expects there to discover things about Jesus that he's been utterly clueless about down here. Yes, Jesus has revealed himself. Yes, Jesus appears to us and is the real and living one. But we sometimes only glimpse his beauty and his majesty and his full reality. So David says, some of us who have known Jesus for years are going to enter glory and we'll gasp. Gasp with delight and gasp with a reverent wonder that the one who we thought we knew so well, we have only glimpsed as on a mountaintop. So I do think as Christians we have glimpses of God. Much of the time we're either asleep like the disciples or experiencing hardship rather than seeing the glory of God on the mountaintop. Indeed, if we were really seeing Jesus as he fully is, I think we'd pull back. So Peter, James and John are woken from their sleep by this flashing light and somehow discern that Jesus is speaking to the two of the greatest figures of Judaism, Moses and Elijah. These were men who were long dead. And the point is that it points ahead to the resurrection and its reality and to eternity. And Peter, good old Peter, decides he needs to do something to celebrate the event. I think if he was around today he'd have tried to take a photograph on his mobile. His rather strange response is to want to create tents in order to make Jesus and his friends feel at home. It's a bit crazy really, isn't it? And we laugh at him. But we, as Christians, fall into the same trap. When we've had a great experience of God, we try to catch him in a bottle. We try to hold on to him as if somehow we can possess him. Individuals do it and churches do it. Those of us who came to faith in a certain decade were deeply shaped by that decade. The culture of the Christian world at that time has never quite left us. Those of you who are becoming Christians in this decade, there was nobody worth listening to be before Hillsong and all that crowd. There was nothing happened in the Christian world apart from the one that shaped you. And as you get older, you'll find that some of your favourite songs and your greatest experiences will, if you're not careful, be like trying to hold on to God in a bottle. Trying to sort of capture afresh what you once had. Churches do it and individuals do it. So let's get real. Peter was a bit of a prat. Tents were never going to do it. There was no way he could capture the Lord Jesus. And there is no way we can either. He is the majestic, transfigured Lord, who you and I, even if we've known him for decades, just catch a beautiful glimpse of his full reality. And that's our privilege in worship.
but that's just part of the journey, and we have to translate it in everyday life. So the text tells us in verse 33 that actually Peter didn't even know what he was saying. Perhaps he was trying to preserve what he could see in the way that we might take a photo now. Perhaps he was trying to be religious, showing how he wanted to worship. And what is interesting is that as soon as he suggests making these tents, the cloud descends with the voice of God, and the cloud and voice intervene just as Peter is trying to give importance to Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. But we know that there's one figure on that mountaintop that really mattered, and it was Jesus himself. Scriptures call him the firstborn over all creation, Colossians 1. He is not equal to Moses and Elijah. He is their God. He is the one who fulfills all that they dreamt of all those years before. Moses represents for Jews the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. And what happens on the mountain is a visual representation of what Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, to get away with the Ten Commandments and the like, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them and to embody them, and to be the saviour that they could never do. Peter, James and John are given a revelation of who Jesus really is. We see quite clearly that Jesus is on a level with God himself. He's not just a good teacher, he's God incarnate. So we in this reflective and sometimes difficult angsty season of Lent are given a glimpse of this Jesus, resurrected, ascended, glorified. And we have to keep those glimpses in mind as we journey toward Easter when we'll join some disciples who get the shock of their lives when the Saviour they believed was dead is gloriously resurrected. So as I draw to a close, some years ago, I had a go at one of these. I had an experience. I've had a few of these. I've walked around a thing called a labyrinth. And those of us who go to Shallowford, where our men go for their weekend, there's one of these in the grounds there. A prayer labyrinth is a circular path which you walk on slowly and contemplatively. You can take your shoes off, if you like, just to enter into it. These things were started when Christians couldn't afford to go on great pilgrimages, so they'd set one of these up in some ground, and you would walk prayerfully around. And I can remember when I got into one of these in the first place, I wanted to get straight into the middle. I wanted to go into the middle because that's where God, the reality of God, is meant to be experienced. So old coin legs it round. He doesn't want to waste his time meandering through. He wants to get and somehow be in a place. God's not in the middle of this thing, but you get the drift. The place which represents intimacy and closeness to God. And I can remember doing this for the first time, and God's far too polite to call John Coyne a Pratt. But there was a sense in which the Heavenly Father spoke to me and said, Do you not think I've been with you on the little meandering journeys that you've been on? The false turns, the roads you've gone down that you went on your own and didn't bother asking me about in the first place. And so as I left the centre, I walked out of that labyrinth with a sense that God is there, yes, on the mountaintops, But he's there in the realities of everyday life. He's there in the tough times where actually we want to say, God, I'm so hurting 
I can't frankly imagine you'd be in this place with me. And the experience of those who witnessed the transfiguration was just before it, Jesus predicts his death. And just after it, as they come down the mountainside, there's all pastoral chaos and pain you can possibly imagine. Jesus isn't only found on a mountainside. He's found in the realities of everyday life. And as we move through this season and seek to grow in grace, and as we come to the glories of Easter, don't lose sight of those great truths. Let's be still for a few moments.